0: today what i'm what i want to do is i just want to kind of set up some tension over for the next couple weeks i believe that um there's some problems that that we have and we encounter in life and that are going through us and uh there's this phenomena that starts uh very early in our life we 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 get to this place where we start to have this revelation of of who you and i are we get this revelation of who we are and and what our lives look like and and uh you know, we start to discover our personalities and our gifts, and 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 we look at ourselves, and we're like, "Wow, that's that's really awesome." And then at some point in our life, we have this understanding that there is a God that's out there, and uh, and God is is pretty big, and He's holy, and He's just, and and He is the creator of all things, and He is great. and And we start to look at our lives, and we look at God, and we say, "You know, God is holy and just, and all these things, and and right." and then we look at our lives and we're saying, man, I'm not ro- holy, I'm not righteous, I'm not just, I'm not all these things. And, and we realize that there is like a gap in our life there. There is this gap, there's this divide between where we are in life, who we are, who, who we found ourselves to be, and who God is. And then somewhere along the way, something happens, maybe maybe somebody tells you about them, maybe you read about them, but you find out about this, this, God named Jesus Christ who came and he died upon the cross and he rose again so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And all of a sudden, this gap that was in our life, this divide between who we we are and who God is of this great God and, and then the, the reality of who you and I are is is all of a sudden, this gap, this tension that was there, all of a sudden is bridged. And, uh, you know, we experience that. And what happens when we experience that, man, is is a lot of us, man, we just get on fire for Jesus. I mean, we are just like ready for God. We're reading our Bible, we're going to small groups, we're showing up to church early and stuff and we're like sitting there waiting just counting away the seconds like I can't wait for the for the first song to start and I'm the video I wish it would hurry up and get down and and man, we're just passionate about more and more things of God and we want more and more of him. But somewhere along the way we kind of plateau we plateau and and things aren't as exciting as they once were and and you know we're not as passionate as we once were and and all of a sudden we have a we have this this whole new set of standards we have we get a realization of who we currently are in life and who god imagined us to be sorry my letters are kind of falling off <laughs> The imagined you and the, the current reality is is where you are in life and what your life looks like and and man you know who you're you're married to and what kind of job you have and then you have this imagined you which is everything that God says about you that could and should be it's it's how God dreamed your life to be from the very beginning of time when He formed you in your mother's womb He's like man I'm imagining this person to do this man they're gonna do great things they've got all this stuff that I, they have the potential to do man and I imagine them to do that and we start looking at our lives and we we see the, the the current reality of where we're at, the current us, and we see the imagined us, and we're like, man, I don't have any idea how to get there. And then in the first scenario where it was just us and God, we, we realized that, man, there was this, this barrier, this bridge that was put there that named Christ, and so we put them in there. But, but in this one, instead of running back to that same thing, we start to think, you know what, I was saved by Grace. But I think that I'm going to try to fill this gap myself. I'm going to try to bridge the the current me with the imagined me. And a guy named John Ortberg, this is what he says. He says, when I first come to God, I may experience grace primarily as forgiveness. And of course, grace is forgiveness, but it's more than that. It's not just something you need when you sin. It is something that you need all of the time. Grace is the generosity of God. And once I become a Christian, I experience it primarily through the power of what I could not do on my own. He says, man, when I first come to God, and it's like this, when we first come to God, man, we experience this incredible grace, and we think, man, grace is only there for the forgiveness of sins. It's not there for anything else. And so what we have a tendency to do is we have this tendency, the problem is, is we, we like to see Jesus as a guy who died on the cross for our sins and for salvation for eternity, but we don't think about him as our Savior for our everyday life. And what happens is is we, and and I think that this is something that that we've kind of messed up um, as as a church, as a whole, is we focus on two supernatural aspects of Christ's life. And uh, they're they're put around holidays. Uh, You know, there's this supernatural birth of Jesus Christ that happened, and and what is that holiday? Okay, some of you guys know what that holiday is. (laughs) What is that holiday? Christmas. And then on the other side, we have this other aspect of Jesus' life, which is his death and resurrection that we just celebrated. And what's that called? And most people come to church on what days? Christmas and Easter, right? And so we get this tendency that we focus on God on these two supernatural aspects of life, and what happens is we miss out because we focus on just his supernatural death and resurrection and his supernatural birth. We miss out on everything that happened in between. And the same thing happens in our life. We miss out on everything in between and what God wants to do. And Matt Chandler said this, who's an awesome pastor in Dallas. He said, we have a massive humanity who have had this collision with Jesus and have the hope of heaven, but the functionality of the gospel is invisible in their lives. For many of us, man, we've had this collision with Christ, and, and we, we have the forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of Christ in our lives, and we have the, the hope of salvation, And we're going to spend eternity in heaven, but it doesn't really affect how we live every day. It doesn't really affect how we live every day. In fact, for the vast majority of us, there is very little difference between a Christian and somebody who is not. Because the functionality of the gospel of the everyday life is not present in our lives. And now here's what happens. We have this gap of, of current you and imagined you. And so because we think, man, we've got to take control. There's a couple different areas how we try to bridge this gap in our lives. One of the ways we do it is we try to fake it. We try to fake it. We try to act like everything is cool. We try to act like we've got it all together. We just ignore that gap, and we're like, man, I've got it all going on. In fact, some of you all did this this morning. You woke up, and you're fighting with your spouse. You're yelling back at them. Your kids weren't getting ready in time, and so you're grabbing them by the ear and twisting them and dragging them to church and spanking them and doing all those things, and you're fighting like cats and dogs all the way to church, and as soon as you get here, you get out of there, and you hold hands, and God bless you. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Hallelujah. And you're faking it. You're faking it. You're acting like there is no gap there whatsoever between the current you and the imagined you. There's another group of you that are out there that you decide, man, you know what? I- I'm not going to fake it. I- I'm going to work it. Man, I'm going to work that gap. And, and, this is, and this is what you do. You fall into this trap of legalism. And you think, man, I've, I've got I've to fill this gap. And so, man, I've got I've to make sure that, that everything I'm doing is, is lining up. I'm crossing every T and dotting every I in, in, in life. And you think, man, if it's miserable, it must be spiritual. And so you fill your life with a whole bunch of miserable things. And you're trying to work that gap to close. And so you're filling your life with more and more and more and more and more things, trying to act all spiritual, trying to bridge that gap. But the reality is, is man, you're just just trying to work that thing together. There's some of you guys that are out there, and this this is probably the most common one that I think, especially in America, that happens, is we just switch. We just switch it. And what I mean by that is, is when this gap, this reality hits in our lives, that this is the current you and this is the imagined you, what we do is we switch spiritual venues. We say... You know, must be the church's fault. It's the pastor's fault. You know, he's just not teaching deep enough. It's the worship leader's fault. I mean, he's just not singing the songs that that just really lead me into the presence of God. And so we, what we do is we switch spiritual venues. We, we, maybe you grew up in a charismatic environment, and, man, that was a lot of excitement, but you're like, man, I just, I'm not ready for all, a lot more excitement. I want something a little bit deeper, and so you go to a Presbyterian church. And you think, oh, man, this will fix it. Or maybe you grew up with way too much excitement, and so you decide to become a Baptist and calm down a little bit. <laughs> just kidding. Maybe. Not really. Okay. Okay. <laughs> But we switch spiritual venues thinking, you know what, this is, this is going to solve the problem, of the gap that's in my life of current me and imagined me. And it just doesn't work. And it feels good for a little bit, but it doesn't work. Then there's the last group that I think, they just quit it. They just quit it. They just say, you know what, I'm going to settle for a life of mediocrity. And they say to themselves, you know, I know I could be this kind of father or I know that I could be this kind of mother. I know that I could be this kind of boss. I know that I could have this kind of success in life, but that's a little bit hard. And that's going to cost me something and it's, it's going to be some work and I'm going to have to do some things that I don't want to do. And so I'm just going to settle for the hope of heaven because I have salvation already. And so I'm just going to quit and I'm going to live a mediocre life. And what happens is, is we have this, this huge gap here, and we say to ourselves, how in the world do we fill this? How in the world do we bridge this gap that's so evident in our lives? And, and what does that look like for us? And, and it's so hard. And for a lot of us, I related to, to a couple of years ago, man, I took up golf and I just wanted to learn how to play golf and I remember going to my first couple of golf golf lessons I thought to myself I just want to become Tiger Woods I just want to go out there and hit it and do really well not Tiger Woods today Tiger Woods like 10 years ago <laughs> um and I was like this will be awesome I'm gonna go out there they're gonna show me like one thing and all of a sudden i gonna be hitting like 350 yard bombs this is gonna be awesome first first lesson an hour long I never swung a club. All they did was kept having me put my hands on the club and, and formulating my grip. Put your hands on it, take it off. Put your hands back on it, take it off. And I was like, this is horrible. And I thought, it's gonna get better next week. Next week, I just go there and I'm standing there. I'm just putting my hands on the club and letting go of it. Hands on the club, letting go of it. And I was standing still and I was like, I hate this. And some of you guys, that's how your Christian life is. You're standing still. And you hate it. You hate that there's this huge gap between you. And this is the thing. Christ never designed your life to, live, to look like that. He said, I've come that you may have life and life in the fullness. He's saying, man, I didn't imagine you to have a life where you're just standing still. Your life is to be in perpetual motion going towards me. And in fact, Matthew 16, 24 and 25, it says this. Then Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. So Jesus says, come follow me. Come follow me. Take some action. He's saying, man, I want you to walk with me. I want your life to be a part of my life, man. I want it to be a reflection of us. And a lot of us, man, we want Jesus in our lives. I mean, wouldn't we all say that? I want Jesus in my life, man. I want him to be a part of it, man. I want him to be in the car of my life. I just don't want him driving it. Man, it's nice to have him there, but like, I don't want him in the driver's seat. And, and, and this is a problem that, is, that has happened in the, in the local church, and, and man, I take full responsibility. We've made trusting Christ this thing where it's, we're trusting Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and salvation, but we're not truly trusting Christ. We're not truly trusting Christ like they talked about in the New Testament where we said, man, I will give up my life, I will surrender everything that I have, and I'm going to follow him completely with every single thing. Listen, I'm going to get out of the driver's seat. Christ, you're going to take control. And a lot of us know Jesus as our Savior, but very few of us know him as our Lord. And if we were really, really honest with one another, Jesus is really just our ticket to heaven. He's really just our get-out-of-jail-free card. I didn't figure there'd be a lot of amens here today. Because the reality is, is he really doesn't have a whole lot of impact in our lives. He doesn't really have a whole lot of impact in our daily decisions. I mean, we want Jesus with us. Man, we want him especially with us when we're going through some adversity. Maybe our car breaks down, maybe we get a flat, we want him to get out and change the tire. But we don't really fully want him in control of our lives. And I don't think that that's necessarily intentional on our part. I don't think it necessarily started that way. I don't think that's when we, when we found Christ initially, I think a lot, most of us said, man, God, I want you to be Lord. But very slowly and very unintentionally, he just became Savior. And I think we put Jesus in the backseat of our lives when we commit idolatry. It's not a word that's used a lot. And that, I, I say that most of the time. And I think this is the greatest temptation for all of our lives. And, and idolatry is when we take something other than Jesus and make it our ultimate in life. We take something other than God and in that number one spot in our life and we say, I'm going to put this here or I'm going to put that here. And and this is the thing. Jesus totally understands this because in Matthew chapter 4, he endured the same temptation. The temptation was the devil came to him. Maybe some of you guys know the story. Maybe some of you don't. The devil came to him and said, listen. He took him up on top of a mountain. He said, look at all the kingdoms of the world. Look at all these great things. Look at all this stuff. Listen, you can have all this. This is all yours. If you just worship me. Idolatry. Putting something else in place of Christ as the ultimate in your life. And listen, success can be your idol. Your kids can be your idol. Money can be your idol. Your job can be your idol. There are lots of different things that can become your idol in life. And uh, in our culture, man, it's, it's a huge problem. Because there are so many things that are competing for that number one spot, aren't there? I mean if we were all to look at our lives, we'd say, man there's a lot of things that are competing for the number one place in my life and we' today we're going to take a look at a, a a book called Ezekiel chapter 16 if you guys want to turn there it'll probably take you the entire message to turn there because it's, it's just hard to find but uh we're going be we're going to be checking out um, a culture that was dealing with the same thing that we're dealing with today and I think that 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 culture is very reflective of our culture. And I think that that in this passage, it's a little weird, and and maybe some of you guys are going to understand it, but you've got to understand this is like a a, a poetic love letter from God to his people, the Israelites. And I believe that it's not just a a letter for them back then, but it's a letter for us today. It's it's a foreshadowing of what he wants to say to you and I today, right now with where we're living and what we're dealing with and what we're going through. And so if you guys want to pick up in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, we're going to start there. It says, Later I passed by, and when I looked at you, God is specifically talking to his people right there. Man, he's, he's saying, man, when I looked at you, when I looked at you, when I looked at you, he's not just talking to the people there, man, he's foreshadowing to us, to us today. He says, when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. And understand what this means. I mean, this is God right here, and he's to spread your garment over something or somebody was a sign of commitment. It was a sign of betrothal. It was a sign of uh, protection. And what God is saying is, man, man, I'm going to come and I'm going to establish this covenant. And when a covenant happened, it was between two parties. And he said, man, we're going we're gonna to be a part of this and we're never going to break this bond that we have. Man, I'm going to establish this covenant and I'm going to cover your nakedness. That's all of our sin and all of our shame. He's saying, man, I want to cover all that. I want to protect that. I want to bring you back to innocence from where you've already been. And man, this is what I want to do in your life. And he goes on to say, And I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord. And you became mine. And God right here is, is pledging his fidelity to us. Man, he's, he's saying, man... I love you so much. And he's, he's establishing this covenant, just like in Romans 10, 9, where it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. Man, he's establishing this covenant right here with his people. And he's saying, man, this is, this is gonna take place. And man, when you put your trust in Christ, man, there's a covenant that we enter into. And he's talking about that same thing. He goes on, sorry, this is a little deep. And he says, I bathe you with water and wash the blood from you and put ointments on you. And I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. And your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabrics and embroidered cloth. And your food was fine flour, honey and olive oil. And you became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And what God's doing, man, is he's talking about, man... When we enter into this covenant, the blessings that I bestow upon you, man, the things, the benefits that you have from the relationship. And and this is like a marriage relationship, man. When we come together, man, we are one. And and everything that I have is yours now. And, man, you can not just experience forgiveness of sins from your past, but from the future as well, man. And this is an incredible, incredible thing. And it goes on to say in verse 14, And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. And because of the splendor I'd given, you made your beauty perfect. He's saying, man, you've been made perfect through the blood of Christ, man. Your sins have been washed away, declares the sovereign Lord. And this is where things kind of go a little bit off here. And this is where we're kind of going to focus. And he says, but you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places, and you carried on your prostitution. Such things should not happen, nor should they ever occur. They also took the fine jewelry I gave you and made ju- jewelry made of gold and silver. And you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And you took your embroidered clothes and, to put them on and you offered my oil and incense before them. And he goes on and on and on. Talking about how we entered into this incredible relationship with God, how he he said, "Man, I'm gonna make a covenant with you, man. I wanna I wanna bind together our lives, and I want this not to be just a, a, a superficial. Hey, man, we're good together, man. But this is a union of us together, and, and I'm gonna give you all kinds of gifts, not just the gift of salvation, but the gift of eternal life, and I'm gonna give you the the gift of relationship with me, man. And you can know me intimately, and man, we're gonna. I have a great purpose, and I have a great plan for your life, and I want to protect you, and I want to uphold." you. And I want to do all those things. And and God gives us all this stuff and what do we do? We act like whores. We act like whores. We act like someone who prefers strangers over our own husbands. And he basically calls Jerusalem spiritual nymphomaniacs. And I think that totally describes us today. I think it completely describes us. We're spiritual nymphomaniacs. And we've entered into this amazing and everlasting covenant with the creator of the universe who loves us unconditionally, who would send his son to die so that we could not just have salvation, but so that we could have this relationship and we can get all these benefits and we say, thank you very much. And we go off and we pursue our own desires. We pursue our own ideas. We pursue our own purpose, thinking that it's going to bring satisfaction in our lives. And let me just say right now that, it, man, if, if you're a guest here, um, man, we're so happy that you're here with us. And uh, this passage, if, if you don't know Christ, this, this passage is not uh, really talking to you. You know, we try to create environments and all these different things that, that help you to see God. But today, this, this message is really for God's people. And so if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, you kind of get a whole pass on this whore thing. So just kind of tune that out. And... Uh, But for the rest of us who call Christ our Lord, he's calling us out as the body of Christ. And he's saying, man, we're like a prostitute. We're like a prostitute. And it says, man, not only will we sleep with others, but man, we'll pay to sleep with others. And and the language that the scripture is using here is so harsh. It's so not characteristic of God, but he's describing the heart of people spiritually. And he's describing a people that are searching for significance. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for satisfaction. And as I read these scriptures, as I read these things, I can't help but say to myself, that's me. That's me. And that's probably a lot of you. And I know some of you guys are like, man, I, I, you know, I don't consider my, myself a, a prostitute. But I would say that all of us, we all have one area of our life that we allow to come and take that number one spot in our life. We all have some area that, that creeps in and seems to, to, to overshadow and overtake Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. And maybe for you, you're addicted to crack cocaine or pornography. Maybe it's very, very obvious to you what those things are but for most of us it's not something that is something so glaringly destructive in our life for a lot of us it's something that i would consider probably morally neutral in your life it could be your kids it could be your job it could be security it could be popularity i don't know what it is for you it's probably not very destructive the way that we would think of destructive But it's probably pretty morally neutral and i love what louis gigley always says he says follow the trail of your life look at your time your energy and your money and at the end of that trail you will find a throne and on that throne is your adulterous lover now i know there's not a lot of you guys that are walking around saying I worship money. That's what I do, man. Money, that's that's what it is. Or I worship my kids. Or I worship my job. I know most of you guys are not going around saying that. And and I'm not saying that you are. But I want you to look at your actions of your life. Because most of the time, we're not going to say what is really on the throne of our heart. But our actions will reveal it. They'll reveal What is number one in our lives? And so how do we truly discover that thing that is sitting on the throne of our heart, whether it's beauty or ego or money or kids or our spouse, our career, our savings, our security, popularity, whatever that thing may be, maybe it's safety. There's a couple questions I think we need to ask ourselves. And the first one is this, and I ask myself these questions all the time. Am I willing to sin to get it? It's a great question. And be really honest. Think about that promotion at work. Are you willing to lie, cheat, and steal to get that thing? Are you willing to cut a few corners to get that spot? Second question, am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? Think about that boyfriend or that girlfriend. You know, they're, they're pressuring you into having sex. Well, I might lose them, and so... We give in. And if the answer to yet is yes to either of those questions, bingo. There's your idol. There's the thing that has replaced Jesus as Lord of your life. And I have to ask myself these questions all the time. And I have to ask them a lot of different ways because, man, I'll lie to myself. The Bible tells us our heart is deceptive. Man, we can't trust this thing inside of us, man. It'll lie to us. We are born with a sin nature, man. It's, it's very easy for us to say, oh, I don't have a problem with that. But the reality is, is a lot of us do. And I know that this week, man, I'm, I'm kind of setting you up for the next two weeks. Because I believe God really wants to speak some things out of Jesus' life to our lives. And I know a lot of you won't come back because I called you whores, but I hope you will. I really do. But going back to this, this gap here, this gap between current you... And imagine to you, man, I think it's possible that we can, we can bridge this gap, not by our own strength, not by us putting ourselves there, but by something very different, by putting Christ and following Christ. And I love what it says in Philippians, says, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. It means that completion is this closing the gap. God is going to carry on this work in your life, man, if you'll just fully submit to him. I love what it says in Philippians. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Man, God is working in us. If we're just following after him, man, he's working with us. Jesus says this in, four, in Matthew four nineteen. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. God says, Jesus says, come, follow me. Come, let me be in the driver's seat of your life. Listen, you can be in the driver's seat of your life. You can take control of that vehicle. You can go whore around and pursue all those things. You can pursue your passions. You can pursue your desires. You can pursue things that you think will give you satisfaction. You can try to go do all those things, and you can take control, and you wonder why you're running into things, and you're having wrecks all the time, and you're having fender benders, and things are not happening the way that you thought they were because you were in control, or... You can allow me to take control of your life, and I will start to bring purpose to your life. I will start to bring satisfaction to your life. I will bring uh, meaning to you, and I'll take the things that are broken and make them whole. I'll take the meaningless aspects of your life and making them meaningful. I'll take the things in your life that you can't seem to put together, and I'll shift it all around and put it all together, and it'll be a beautiful, beautiful thing. And here's what I've realized is my job is not to try to change me or to, to, to try to close the gap myself. My job, my job and all of our jobs is to just get as close to Jesus as we can. You want to know how we're going to bridge the gap? Is we're not going to try to close it ourselves. Is is that we're going to run passionately after Jesus. And he's going to be under all in all. And he's going to be our everything. And we're going to say, God, you're not going to be in the backseat anymore. I'm going to move myself out of the seat. And I'm going to put you there. And I'm going to take a backseat to what you want to do. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do your will. And I'm going to watch you close, bridge the gap between where I currently am and where you want me to be in life. Because he's the author of life. He's the savior of our life. Man, and he wants to be the Lord over our life. And he wants to bridge that gap. And if we can just stay connected to him, he will make those things work. And look at the end of uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 60. And this is God speaking, and, and, and I love this. He says, yet. I just love that word, yet. Because it says, in spite of all that we've done, despite all the adulterous lovers in our lives, he says, yet, I will remember the covenant that I made with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. See how beautiful that is? Man, what God wants for each and every one of our lives is is that, man, we've been chasing a lot of these different areas trying to find satisfaction and meaning. We've had a lot of adulterous lovers and we, we, we've tossed Jesus to the back seat, but he says, yet, man, despite of all those things, if you'll just return, I've got an incredible, incredible plan for you. I've got an incredible purpose for you. Listen, I know when when most of you guys in here die, you're gonna go to heaven. And that's awesome, man. I I can't wait to be celebrating in heaven with you. I think it's going to be an incredible thing and I'm not downplaying that. Not downplaying that at all. But my fear is that we miss the space between now and then. And we miss out on the promises and the purpose and the plan that God has for each and every one of our lives. He wants us not to just Endure the dash, but live the dash of our life. He's saying, it's time to stop whoring around. It's time to stop pursuing everything that you think will bring satisfaction and pursue me. Take those other things that have have taken my place as number one and put me back there and allow him to take control. Allow him to Drive the car of your life. And my prayer today is that that God would just do that in our hearts, that we would just say, you know what, God? Today, I'm gonna let you take control. I'm I'm gonna step out of this vehicle called my life. I'm gonna step out of control of it. And I'm going to offer you this seat. And instead of getting in the passenger seat and periodically reaching over and grabbing the wheel, I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to get in the back seat. And I'm just going to pursue you. Wherever you go, I'm going to be right behind you. You stop, man, I'm going to smack right into you because that's how hard I'm pursuing you. And normally, you know, right now, I would lead you guys in a time of prayer, but... I'm just going to pray my own prayer because this is something God's doing in my life. And I would encourage you in this time, you, you can make my prayer your prayer, but I would encourage you to pray your own prayer. God, I just come before you today. And I am so sorry. For being somebody who's wanted to take control of my life. God, I've I've tried to so many different things. I've tried money to bring satisfaction. I've tried careers to bring satisfaction. My biggest adulterous lover is my work. And so many times I put it ahead of you. And I'm ashamed of that. But God, I thank you that your grace is not just sufficient for my salvation, but it's sufficient for my everyday life. And I just pray that right now that your grace would overwhelm my life. God, I just confess my sin to you, God. And I say I'm sorry for putting other things ahead of you God, I pray that today that you would retake that number one spot. That you would be my ultimate in life. That I wouldn't seek satisfaction in meaning and purpose in in my work or in, in my finances or in my identity. But God, I would seek it only in you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. And God, today, I don't just make you my Savior, I make you my Lord. Take full and complete control. In Jesus' name.